I'm happy to share this week's show sponsor, Cubicle to CEO, is one of my new favorite podcasts. Cubicle to CEO, led by Ellen Yin, is a mentorship-focused media company on a mission to make mentorship accessible to the masses so all women everywhere can pursue what's possible. Love that. In corporate America, Leadership Mentor helped me to quickly develop ways to level up my skill set for an upcoming promotion, so I am a mentorship believer. You know I started a personal brand and began podcasting last year. So I'm sharing this info about Cubicle to CEO with you because I only wish I had known back then about Ellen's weekly show and mentorship programs to guide and encourage me in those early kind of rough days. Her case studies, for example, are both inspirational and actionable. I recently listened to episode 143, which goes into the details of how the fabulous Dr. Tarika Barrett, the CEO of Girls Who Code, recently pivoted during the global pandemic and achieved enrollment increases from 1,600 to 5,000 students. Want to use the best income growth strategies from top entrepreneurs and CEOs, including Ellen herself? You can binge listen to past income reports on Cubicle to CEO today, plus receive free access to your first 10K month masterclass and a bonus workbook by going to our special link, zen.ai slash curious CEO. That's zen, Z-E-N dot A-I slash curious CEO. Welcome to the My Curious Colleague podcast with your host, me, Denise Veneri. We'll be talking all things consumer relations with a focus on consumer product goods organizations and the brand specialist and analyst roles and responsibilities. So if you like CPGs like I like CPGs, marketing, insights, and caring deeply for your consumers, well, take a listen. Hello, my curious colleagues, and welcome to the double secret bonus question with our colleague, Tom Asher. And the question that we're going to be talking to Tom about is is taking a deeper look into his career thoughts on two topics. So let's do the first one. I know, Tom, that early, and we're talking early in your career, you've had some rather non-corporate and more entrepreneurial type roles, and hoping you could share some personal stories from those days I'm not sure. Are you going to be talking about operationalizing love? Yes. Not? And you, okay. you pronounced it correctly. It's a mouthful. Okay. <laughs> All right. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I'm, um, I, yeah, I, I to say I'm a bit of a late bloomer in my corporate career. I started that when I was you know, much older and the first chunk of my life was having my own business right out of college. Um, first built electric guitars for a guitar shop in Berkeley. That was just a blast right out of school. Um, that shop that's still open. It's been there since 1969. So that was sort of the, the funnest job I've ever had. Um, but then getting into, um, I had my own business, uh, a clothing company that was a mail order catalog back then when the internet wasn't very strong. And um, it was clothing and, and handmade gifts and crafts and, and folk art, which was a great experience. Learned how to manage people, how to lease a warehouse, how to do payroll, how to build a whole transaction-based computer system to handle credit card transactions. It was a great experience and i realized how operational that role is even though it was very creative too um and then worked for uh for greenpeace um and ran their catalog business which is how they raised a lot of money as i merchandise created all their products hemp and organic cotton t-shirts and bags and um all sorts of gifts it was a big thing back then the, the catalog business um and then went on to a spree they had a organic cotton and hemp clothing line called e-collection which was very very radical and kind of leading edge 
in that world back then um, and learned a lot about sustainability and business yeah. back in the early days. So that was kind of my non-traditional, very non-corporate um, world. And I really wasn't doing customer care back then. I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't really know that was a profession you could go into. I was just in business, thought maybe I'd want to be a marketer or sales or I didn't really know what. So finally, I figured out when I stumbled across um, an opportunity at Levi's to just start. I started out as a temp there while I was in business school and um, quickly got into a supervisor role, helping manage their their consumer affairs function. And that was kind of when I realized, oh, this is actually a profession called customer care. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's actually an association involved with it where you can join and be trained and learn more about it. And that's, that was much later in my life. So, um, I feel like I had this first chapter that was very freeform, very entrepreneurial, very different. And I just kind of settled into my groove and uh, found my passion, um, which is great to finally discover that. And I realized that, um, I really encourage a lot of people to experiment early in their career and just try something all sorts of things, whatever it is, whether it's building guitars or working at a chocolate factory, it doesn't matter. Just do something that's really different and offbeat to kind of test the waters before you settle into what might be a, you know, a more of an established mainstream track. Um, yeah. So that's kind of what I wanted to touch on that. And, and what I learned out of all that was this concept of operationalizing love, which is all about really creating uh, a consistently good experience for customers all the time. Like, how do you do that? How do you mm. operationalize a good experience? And to me, that is so hard to do. We talk a lot in the industry about wow and customer wow, and there's lots mm. of books about customer wow, and I'm not going to diminish the value of those books at all and those concepts, but I think it's really easy to wow one out of every 100 customers or one out of every thousand customers. But how do you just do a good job with every customer when they contact you via chat, email, phone, it's really hard to operationalize that, to have the right procedures in place, the right staff in place, the right tools that enable you to deliver that, just a good experience. And to me, if you deliver a good experience consistently, that's when your net promoter scores skyrocket. That's when your customer satisfaction scores are high. That's when your employees are happy because they're seeing satisfied customers and your revenue, frankly, can really skyrocket. And I've just found that that's a really important concept, not just in any, you know, not just in customer care, but just being operationally consistent. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of businesses struggle with that because it's really hard to do. Yeah. So I call it operationalizing love, partly to be provocative because it, it's a conversation starter. Because when I started using that term, I remember interviewing for a job where the, the, the interviewer said, well, I don't really like that love concept. I just don't, I don't think you should even mention that in business. And I said, that's okay. It's probably not a good fit for us to continue this conversation. If you're not comfortable with that yeah. idea, then clearly like, you know, you should look at other candidates. It was, you know, very amicable, but he was honest about that. That made him uncomfortable. Now I think it's way more common to talk about kind of broader concepts at work. Um, right. When we've kind of gotten a little bit more open-minded about, you know, how you deliver, you know, a good workplace or good work experience for yeah. people. But I remember back then the person really kind of rejected that concept during my interview. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. He made him really yeah. uncomfortable. <laughs> so huh. I've gotten very comfortable talking about it. Did you coin that phrase? I, yeah, I did. And someone else in the industry is now using it. And someone ref mentioned it to me. And I don't know if they referenced that I was using it a long time ago, but it's fine. I really don't care. I don't really need okay. to take credit for it. It's just a really important concept for me. And it's been on my LinkedIn page and on my resume at the top for, I don't yeah. know, 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, but it's something that's just, it's a way to start a conversation, you know, be a little yeah. bit provocative. And it opens up what is a very, to me, a really serious conversation. It's not about love. It's about more than, you know, 
it's it's not about hugging your customers and employees. It's about delivering a good experience all the time, yep. consistently. So, yeah. Yeah. I was just about to say love it, and I and I do, <laughs> and I do. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Love that concept. Um, okay, so moving on to the second double secret bonus yes. question. Not a secret, um, but you've been on the client side of the business for for quite a while, and I know you've worked with different partners, you know, different sizes and uh, and different personalities and things like that. And I just wanted to to get some of your thoughts on how can you be a good business partner? Yes, I understand that we pay their bills, you know, for the for the let's say the vendor or the third party vendor, um, but it's more than that, and. And just curious to know your thoughts on what can you do to to make that relationship more productive um, for yourself, for the agency, and for your um, internal folks, and ultimately the customer. Long-winded question, but um, yeah, let me know what's your thoughts. No, it's a great question. Thanks for asking it. I, I feel like developing good working relationships with your, your partners is so important to your success. And I think the first thing most of my answers are more couched in the context of finding a good outsourced contact center or co-sourced contact center. But I realize partner, we can mean your software vendor for your CRM system, mm. you know, marketing partners, um, voice of customer partners, customer satisfaction partners. But to me, outsourcing part of your core work group to another outside group is a really big deal. It's a very delicate um, situation. And so mm -hmm. to me, the, the, the really, the, the higher stakes engagements with partners are with my contact center outsourcers because there's okay. so much involved in making that work. It's so critical to your success. So more of my answers are, are speaking to that relationship, but I think they apply to any vendor you're picking. And to me, you have to be, first of all, ready to, to outsource. You have to have your, um, your procedures, your policies, your standard operating procedures really well documented. So I think your business has to be at a certain maturity level. If you're a startup early stage, um, it's really hard because everything's changing weekly, daily, monthly. You're, nothing's really stable enough to say, well, here's a replicatable process. Let's have a, an outsourced partner take it on. Um, but if you are mature enough as a business and you've had the time to invest in good standard operating procedures and documentation, then finding a good partner is really quite the journey. And I've done it a number of times um, and had the pleasure of being trained by COPC which sets standards for contact center operations globally. And one of their founders trained our team at Levi Strauss on how to pick a good outsource partner when we were looking to, to outsource. And it was quite the journey um, to be trained on that and to choose a partner that um, we ended up choosing an, an excellent outsourcer. But I realized that it was all about finding the right cultural fit. Of course, you have to find a partner that's got the right technical capabilities. Like that's just a given. But the cultural fit piece is really what we were checking for. and. Mm. If you have a good cultural fit, they'll be able to anticipate your needs because they understand your brand or they understand your business's needs before you even have to tell them because they're already aligned. Ideally, you know, up front or within the first, you know, three, six months, you've really driven that alignment. Um, and so ultimately, it's really like a marriage. You're, you're really, you're carrying, you know, outsourcing part of your precious operation to another partner, maybe all of it or some of it. And you've got to really make sure that you feel comfortable with them that you can demand things of them and they can demand things of you as well. So that kind of good, healthy contention and debate. So it's not just them saying, yes, how high can we jump? It's like, no, they need to be able to comfortable enough to push back and say, you know what, what you're asking is actually not necessarily realistic. We're not ready yeah. to do that. 
or you're not ready to give that operation over to us because it's clearly not you know fully baked. So having that kind of trust um, between the two groups is so important at all levels, obviously at the account manager level, but the frontline staff and the supervisors and the leads are on the floor. Um, and so to me, you know, most of my outsource, actually all of my outsource relationships have been really successful and frankly enjoyable, but it's because we were really careful about who we picked. We looked for that cultural fit, um, which to me is what it's all about. So whether it's software, marketing partner, yeah. outsource contact center, it doesn't really matter. But I think the, the, the bigger the relationship, the, the, the more dollars involved, the more people involved, the cultural fit piece is just critical. Can't emphasize that enough. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I think I identify there's about four juicy nuggets in there, colleagues, for you to think <laughs> about. And especially the last one about being open to having a good debate and being open to maybe your third party vendor or agency pushing back a little bit and working together to, to, to that common goal. Um, I think that's, that's great, Tom. Thanks so much for answering two double secret bonus questions. Appreciate your time. Sounds like a Ben and Jerry's ice cream flavor. <laughs> double <laughs> secret bonus questions. We got to work on that. All right. That's our next business. I love it. Perfect. Denise, thank you so much for uh, inviting me to talk on your on your podcast. I really appreciate you doing these. It's, uh, yeah. it's a terrific venue for people, and uh, you're really making a difference in the world, bringing these people out into the marketplace. So thank you. You're good at it, too. Uh, that's sweet. That's sweet of you to say. I'm going to have to edit that thing where you compliment me because, you know, I can't handle it. But <laughs> if you've learned in, even a kernel of an idea <laughs> was inspired by this episode, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to share out the hashtag CPGCX because CPGCX really and truly rocks. You have been listening to the My Curious Colleague podcast with Denise Veneri. Thank you for your time. <laughs>